Today on the Recruitment Flex, are you ready to attend a virtual career fair in the metaverse? We'll tell you about someone's experience. Are you having issues writing a job ad? Maybe pretend you're a comedian. Better.com screws up again. And we'll also discuss what makes a really great career site. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge, as always, joined by one of my favorite co-hosts, but probably my favorite co-host, Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Good, Serge. That was a really nice save. Yeah, but you are my favorite co-host all the time. Sometimes I try too hard to go after you. And you know, it's just joking, but you are by far the best co-host that a man could ever have. Oh, gee, thanks, Serge. And lucky me, we have another co-host that is joining us today. With no further ado, let me introduce our third co-host. There's a triad going on here. Boss Van de Hattred, who has got his own podcast, Talent Savvy, but he's way across the pond. Where are you anyways, Bass? I'm in the Netherlands. Oh, Netherlands. Oh, your memory is so bad, Shelly. I did know that, actually. Boss, thank you for joining us. Thank you for co-hosting with us. This is going to be a very interesting episode. Yeah, it's great to get the perspective of someone from Europe. We've had Boz on the show before, and his perspective is fantastic. So, Boz, thank you for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. As you know, I try to model Talent Savvy after the recruitment flex. You guys are one of my examples, and I hope to reach the level of debate with my co-hosts, which you always have. So it's my absolute pleasure to be on the show with you guys. It's great. I was curious, boss. I follow you on Twitter. I see that little guy with the bike. And from our last conversation, you're very heavy in cycling. Are we talking like Tour de France type of cycling or what's the whole deal there? I, I do cycle and it's finally becoming springtime. So I went for a 70, 80 kilometer ride Yesterday, I live in the most hilly part of the Netherlands, which basically means we can go up 40 meters because the Netherlands is as flat as it gets. I love cycling and it's finally becoming the awesome weather that I really enjoy. Shelly, do you cycle? I don't even have a bike. You don't have a bike. I know. Can you believe that? I I don't even own a bike. My daughter, on the other hand, she has one of those touring bikes and she just loves it. The pathways through Calgary is amazing. You can do a 30, 40 kilometers in the city on paved bike paths. Every year I keep saying, I should buy a bike. Yeah, you can come visit me. (laughs) Yeah. If you drove, it's like 45 minutes, but you could cycle down there probably faster than you could drive. But no, it's not happening. So... How about we get into the topic of the week? I was listening to, Boss, uh, your show, Talent Savvy, which, by the way, is a fantastic podcast. So if you're listening to this one, you should be listening to Talent Savvy. You were talking a lot about the metaverse, and we've talked about it a couple of weeks ago. And to be honest, there's elements that we don't really understand. Um, But I read this article, and it was really interesting, because what they did is took a career fair and made it virtual. 
And, and my first initial thought is like, why would you ever want to do that virtual? Like, we don't want the real life career fairs. I don't know how you feel about it, boss, but I, I hate career fairs in general. I think they're a complete waste of time. I'll give you the highlights, then we'll jump into it. This gentleman, he's a writer for the Business Insider. He went to a metaverse recruitment fair. There was around 30 companies, 200 attendees. It was hosted by a recruitment firm called Hirect. It was a metaverse job fair for Y Combinator back startup. So Y Combinator in San Francisco is where the hub of a lot of companies with tons of potential. That's where they fall in. It was built exactly the same as a regular job fair. So there was like an exhibitor hall and auditorium. You could walk freely. You had to put your Oculus headset on. Couple of things that he pointed out. The tech was really clunky, which was to be expected in this type of environment. There was even a session where everyone joined into the group and someone spoke and you had to go line up to a mic to ask a question. You couldn't interact with different people. But he generally really liked it. Uh, he thought it was a great way of doing it. So I know you guys have read the article. I know we're all researching Metaverse, but I, I'd like to get your perspective first, boss, on what's your overall take? Is this the new way that we're going to hold job fairs? I'm ambiguous about this. On the one hand, I'm like, it's really cool that it is happening because it's new for technology. There's so much potential. As one of my co-hosts in the Talent Savvy podcast said, what if you had an amazing, really normally high-priced speaker there on your own stand? Wouldn't people come there to listen to like the guru in your area of expertise, you as a tech guy? Imagine you having Sergey Brin on there for Google. That would attract a crowd. Now, I was actually thinking, what if you would be able to redo old video-based sessions from, for example, deceased CEO, Freddie Heineken, who founded Heineken, was an amazing speaker, but he can't show up anymore because he died about a decade ago. His daughter is a terrible speaker who doesn't like the spotlight, but the name Heineken attracts. Now, you could build an avatar and basically have him give the lecture that he gave uh, to his employees. That sounds a little creepy to me. It's like what Star Wars did for Princess Leia. The actress had died and they brought her back post-mortem to play a character. They did the Tupac hologram where he performed in concert and it was amazing. It looked exactly like him, all his movements. It, it was pretty cool. That's not a bad idea. It just sounds creepy when you say it initially, it, boss. It is, but... The, the thing which I disagree with you on, by the way, career fairs not having their place. I think most career fairs are organized really terribly, and it does depend on your location. The Netherlands is like a very small country. From where I live, there isn't a place I cannot reach in two hours by car. So if you have a career fair in Utrecht, and there are, Everybody from the entire country can very easily come there. For example, nurses, I found out, get a lot of their information from those career fairs. So for people looking for nurses, it was an amazing thing. No IT person wants to be found dead there, so no IT person will visit. Yet, if you're recruiting construction workers or Nurses, it's great. Last year on my event, I had the Dutch government who has this massive traineeship and they did a digital career fair and they found out that so many more people from what we call the edges of the country. So we have this amazing university in the north 
uh, one in all the way in the east, almost on the German border, and one in the south. And they saw so many more students from those universities digitally tuning in to their career fair and later applying for government apprenticeships. So I do believe that a virtual one, and this wasn't in a metaverse, this was just on, on Zoom, they do have their place if and only if organized well. But I think that's the main problem we have in recruitment in general. We tend to do something, we tend to do it really terribly on execution, and then we say, the system doesn't work. Boss, that's exactly what I was going to say, is we've taken this horrible experience and just simply animated it somehow. Even if we look at this from the virtual career fairs where companies are there to market their opportunities or market the programs, if it's done virtually, you can actually track conversion, which is the name of the game. When I saw this article search, I just thought like it was everything cringy about career fairs. And the reason we hate them to begin with is lining up to ask a question, how many people will actually do that versus taking advantage of the fact that you're an avatar and you can have conversations on the side, chat rooms, like where was that? That was possible. You were able to have those conversations. There was just one presenter who chose not to. One side note in the article, they would send people who wanted to attend an Oculus ahead of time. So basically they had the perfect reason for techies to join your virtual career fair. You are getting a free Oculus goggles worth like a thousand quid. If you ever want to do marketing to techies, this might actually work. I mean, it's American, so I have no idea if they feel as guilted as the Europeans would if you get like a thousand or two thousand buck present that you do feel the need to show up because you just got this amazingly expensive present. I, I want to take a couple step backs and I don't want it to be a debate on career fairs or, or job fairs, but I disagree with you, boss. Job fairs, as a recruiter, man, like just the word job fair, the thought about going to a job fair, talking to 99% of the candidates that are not fit, and then I have to follow up with them. Like, it's, it's my worst nightmare. I have the worst dreams about job fairs. But you pointed out, like, your nurses. Yes, 100%. But wouldn't it be more advantageous, instead of having a multi-company job fair, to have a hiring event or an information event, just that company? Because now you're not competing with anyone else. You can answer all the questions and you have first dib at those candidates instead of them talking to everyone and putting everyone against each other. But you did say something that I agreed with. There is an advantage with a digital job fair because you can have people that would not drive or not physically go to a location. And as a recruiter, I do like the idea of sitting in my computer and talking to people more that way than physically standing up, driving to a job fair. The interactions are just completely different. I do think these are really cool. Like I was reading through this article and I was trying to put in my mind of how this would actually work and doing a virtual hiring event. So say you're a company and you want to do a metaverse events and you're hiring technical talent, and you want to target 50 people that would be really good for your company, they're around $300 here in Canada. I would spend $300 in Oculus to get these people in front of me as an audience. I would take that risk. But I just think the concept of job fairs as a recruiter or leading a recruitment team, oh my God, I don't want to be talking. I don't want to be pitting against each other. 
I'm, I'm going to challenge you on that, Serge, because I think if you have an awesome product to sell, an awesome job to sell, you do want to be competing because it's much easier to compete if you have a great product than to just stand alone. And second part, and that's actually why I do love a job fair, is you get so many more people attending. It's the same when I organize an event versus when I organize a webinar. A webinar with one guest you need to be really interested in that one guest. Well, if I have an event with 10 guests, like I'm doing now, a digital event, people will sign up and they're like, oh, I might not be interested in that, but I'll still take a look at that company as well. And I actually think that if you want to do a job fair with 10 similar companies, your attendance will more than tenfold because people will... Uh, think, all right, I might be going for company X, but since Y, Z and A and B are there as well, let's pay them a visit. Is that really how people make decisions about where to work? work? I don't think so. If I'm an accountant, if I'm a nurse, if I'm looking for work right now, I'm not going to a job fair. If you're unemployed, sure. Yeah, no, there's you, a service you, there, maybe for youth or people starting out. But this is just taking a bad idea and making it worse, in my opinion. Uh, no, Shelly, I would go to a metaverse hiring event if I was a candidate. There's no chance that you'll ever see me at a real job fair. It's never going to happen, even if I'm unemployed. Well, now that it's and I'm novel. Yeah, well, what we saw I, in this article is that they've just taken what we were doing in person and tried to make it into more fun avatars. Still, it was clunky. You had to wear an Oculus. There were still awkward moments. Did you really get anything out of it? And what? why am I doing this? Yes, you didn't have to drive there, get dressed up, put your pants on, breath mints, and go talk to people. So yeah, you've saved us that inconvenience. But at the end of the day, that is not how people look for work anymore. It's just not. Is it how they look for work in Europe, Buzz? Well, early careers... Yes. I mean, for me, early careers. No, but uh, I've never said that job fairs are for the experienced hires. Job fairs are mainly for early careers, first job movers, maybe second job movers, people who aren't sure of their position yet. I will immediately admit with you, Shelley, that if you're hiring people with a lot of experience, senior level, no way a job fair, virtual or any other way. I'm mainly looking at graduates, traineeships, okay. and that's Agreed. what you're selling there. I, I think this is novel. I think it's a fun idea. I think it potentially will be one of the things that we leverage the metaverse for, uh, although there's many things in Web3 that are going to be a lot more useful and helpful for recruitment than metaverse job fairs. But I do also agree with you, Shelley, that, man, it's just job fairs are so bad. So why are we just trying to put that in a different platform? There's got to be a better way of how we can organize it. But again, it's the first time they've done this. So this is going to be tweaked. And as we go five years from now, it's going to look completely different. But I want to jump to one of our old friends. We talked about Better.com a couple of months ago. And we all remember what happened. The CEO, Vishal Garg, came on and say, if you're on this call, you got fired. And this was right before they got funding. But this week, I, I was scrolling through Twitter and someone put, I just found out that I got laid off because I got my severance in my auto deposit of my bank account. Now I'm digging deeper and she works better.com, which we all know what happens. So 
last week, they laid off 3,000 people and they didn't do it over Zoom, which is good. But a, a percentage of people that the way they found out was by their bank accounts. So what was your thoughts there, Shelly, when you saw that? So I, I was seeing it also on my LinkedIn feed. People saying, I guess I'm not working there anymore. The other thing was they came in and their access just didn't work. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, how to do it badly. They just continue to trip over themselves. And what I wasn't able to figure out was what was the logic? Like, how are they deciding who goes and what's happening? Did, did you get any insight? Like, no, why, no. why are they doing this now? I, I think they were struggling, but the company itself just got $750 million in financing. I guess they're streamlining its private equity. So there's a lot of rules that they want to put as far as just maximizing how profitable they are. But where I'm really concerned here is Better.com is going to be in a position that they're going to be hiring again. And these stories are going to hang around forever. So recruiting is almost going to be impossible for this organization, or at least recruiting really good people. So, Boz, what's your take there as far as Better.com's brand when it comes to recruiting in the future? Um, I think they're screwed. Very simple. But on the other hand, I thought that a lot of companies who screwed up time and time again, and for some reason, uh, a lot of people have very short memories. Uh, I've seen so many companies that treated their staff like complete and total crap. Big news in the media. I remember one of our biggest IT consulting firms at the first dot-com crash, early 2000s, literally classifying their uh, staff, their high-paid IT consultants as temp workers and firing them without severance pay, which is from a European perspective, completely unheard of. And because we hadn't figured out what staffing was back then in the Netherlands, it was uncategorized type of work. A lot of them were let go without severance. Usually you get a month for every year you work somewhere. And I was like, okay, they're never going to be able to hire again. Market picked up. And everybody wanted to work for them again. And in the second dot-com crash or the financial crisis, again, they let a lot of people go. And I'm like, you knew this was going to happen. You knew the crap company. And everybody, no, no, I never expected them to work like this. So people have a short memory. And I think we as recruiters, we only hear from those who do the research and tell us, I'm sorry, we're not working for you. Yeah, But to be honest, I think 90% of all applicants never do any research into their company. I was just going to ask that. Is it just us as recruiters that we're ultra sensitive to these types of news and we blow it out of proportion thinking, hey, it's going to affect your whole recruitment and your employment brand. But in reality, people don't give a fuck. Is that a it, true statement? It, it depends. It, it has a short-term effect. I was at one point working for one of our ministries. We got a new minister because... The guy before him made a political no-no. And we actually had people saying, okay, I'm not coming in for the second interview because I don't want to work for this idiot. And he wasn't even in a position where he would ever actually meet the minister. So yes, there is that thing. Is it massive? I doubt it. And I think it's usually short-lived. Yeah. Shelly, you've laid off a lot of people or no, not I laid off. No, you fired people, right? You've laid off. You've no. been part of layoffs, right? No, no, I have. No, absolutely not. That is one area uh, that I've never wanted to be a part of. 
I would tend to agree that having lived through six recessions in my career here in the city where companies staff up and then whoosh, they let 900 people go in one day and they bring in an army of outplacement people and everybody's without a job. I think there was short-term memory loss before the availability of review sites and reputational review, because there is a right way to let people go. There is a humane way to do it. As shocking as it will be for anyone to lose their job, there is a way to do it. There's always going to be screw-ups, right? So the big screw-up again this time with Better.com is that some people got their pay stubs before their supervisor could even speak to them. I've seen it happen. It's human error for the most part, and I'm not making excuses for Better.com. The same thing happened here in Calgary Search, like maybe four years ago, where employees went to get into the building and their access cards weren't working and they're watching their coworkers' access cards work <laughs> and they can't get in. Somebody made an administrative error and pulled the trigger on shutting off their access before they could be told. Where I was going with that, Shelly, is like being part of layoffs is very clearly organized because you cannot fuck this up and they fucked it up twice. So I get it. Other companies have screwed up, but if someone should be very vigilant and not screwing up after the debacle of what happened is better.com. So if you've got a CEO like this guy who does not hesitate to name call and we've got the evidence that he's a bit of an asshole, imagine working in HR in this company. Like you're petrified. That's when people fuck up, right? So it's bound to happen. I would predict it's probably going to happen again and again because people are so afraid of this guy. Like he's so mean. Last word on this, boss. To add on Shelley, last word, and he doesn't have the processes in place either because he never cared about screwing up, else he wouldn't have done his first Zoom. Nobody ever thought about the process before. This was, by the way, next Monday, we're going to fire 3,000 people. Make it happen, people. And I still use this to this day as his comment on calling his employees dumb dolphins. But let's move on. Yeah. So my favorite topic is job ads and putting some effort into writing a decent job ad. This article by Mitch Sullivan, when you write a job ad, pretend you're a stand-up comic. Like, great suggestion. Like, the whole idea of having an opening sentence that is actually fun to read and doesn't read like a legal document. Boy, there's some great advice. Being able to capture somebody's attention, because if you've ever gone to the comedy cavers, stand-up comic routines, right? Their ability to either engage the audience or bomb is usually in their first few minutes. So imagine if we actually had job ads that were fun and creative and got people's attention. He also talks about how long the job ads are. I'd say 10 years ago, we were saying, no, no, job ads need to be, you know, no more than 400 words long. And then along came the wave where their job descriptions are now posted that are 5,000 words long, that nobody reads it. So what a clever approach to take a little bit of the, the dryness out of it and just put a little effort into writing a job ad. So assumes that talent acquisition people that are posting jobs have creative brain cells. Boss, do you think it's even possible for recruiters to make this transition into being creative writers? Oh, definitely. There's no question about it. And I think the job ad is the most undervalued, underrated 
important part of what we do. I've heard the best sourcing leaders uh, in the world actually say, listen, I fixed the sourcing problem by writing decent apps. Because you can source anybody you want, but if you're still giving them crap to read, uh, they're still not going to respond no matter how good your story is, no matter how good your opening line is in the first outreach. And what I loved about the article was he said, you might want to explicitly say why this is an awesome ad, but it's really cool to implicitly acknowledge why this is an awesome job. It takes a lot more creativity. Now, on the job ad itself, I was recently involved in hiring a recruitment marketeer, which is at this point probably the hardest to recruit Mm -hmm. type of people in the Netherlands. And we spend a lot of effort in there. And actually, we did some job crafting as well. We wrote it really well. We had 17 applicants, of which three were amazing, and seven were really well qualified. But this was the very first recruitment job within the entire organization. So I asked around uh, to people like me in the industry, and everybody's like, if we get one decent application, that's a lot. And I'm like... I had the choice between three awesome people and we hired a really awesome woman now. So yeah, the ad works. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that boss. And I know you don't disagree search like the the power of a kick-ass job ad is the difference between whether or not you need to sponsor your job ad for a thousand bucks or how about you put a little fucking effort into it? You know, and I love what you just said, boss, because that is the heart of the matter is what about this work is appealing to who we're trying to attract. And so if you have that, you really understand your ideal candidate. So yes. bravo. sorry, can I add another one on this? Because it's not just about the content of the job. It's also about how you write it and what you put in there. A couple of years ago, I was interim at a university and we were hiring a full professor. And I honestly still don't have a clue what the guy was going to be doing. The guy had retired. It turned out that job had been open for five years. I was amazed. I was like, I thought they said it was open half a year, 0.5. It turned out that guy retired five years and they hadn't been able to find a replacement. I used a tool called Textio to rewrite a job ad. But I had no idea what this full professor was going to do. So the contents of the job were fixed. I could not edit that part of the job because I had no clue what I would be editing. Yet I added a lot of other things. Uh, Basically, I wrote it with bullet points instead of all text in part. I added the HR information about compensation, about days off. Mm -hmm. I added a non-discriminatory, we are an equal opportunity employer, et cetera, et cetera. We posted it on the exact same websites it had been on for five years. Within a month, we had six applicants, of which five were qualified. Wow. Four came in for an interview. And three months later, we hired a full professor. Now, we're talking about technical full professors who believed are the most rational people in the world who were completely swayed by a well-written job ad. So I I want to bring this to another area. I was reading this article and I love Mitch Sullivan because his copywriting is one of the best I've seen when it comes to writing job ads, similar to Katrina Kibben. But getting recruiters to be creative is going to be a massive challenge. They're not stand-up comedians. It's very hard to put them in that seat. But there is something coming, guys, 
that is going to really change the way we look at job ads. And that thing is called GPT-3. So this is the same technology that I leverage at Jarvis.ai, Shelly, when I'm writing content for the show. Basically, you put in the keywords, it automatically uh, writes a lot of content and, and you can edit, change it, but it gives you a really creative lens. So working in a job board world, like 99% of the job ads that I see coming through our job board are are really bad and trying to figure out ways of how we can improve that. And there's a company that I love. It's called Dover.com and they're actually a talent platform. But on their site, you can go and put the keywords and they do have the GPT-3 technology that will actually create your ad in a very creative way. I think this is where the world is going because with this technology, you can create a landing page in two minutes. Think about putting the keywords in there and it automatically writes a very compelling job ad. Man, that's a game changer. And that's where this is going because what he's saying here is very straightforward. It's very similar to what you would write in a marketing document, right? Like it's the same principles, Mm -hmm. capture their interests, both explicitly and implicitly. I think this is where... GPT-3 is going to have the major impact. So please do check out Dover.com. Go into the job ad writer, play around with it. Man, it's friggin' fun. Can I have the last word on this again? Yeah, you can. (laughs) Because you're the guest, I'm allowing you to be the last co-host. Yes. You mentioned one thing which is essential, but usually one of the biggest screw-ups in our industry. You said, put in the right keywords. So that means you need a really good job intake. Now, there are very few people who are able to do a decent intake with a hiring manager. So, yes, I do believe that GTP3 is an awesome technology. I played around with it, but it starts with a really good intake. And there's actually a Dutch startup uh, doing job intakes now in software, asking the questions you should be asking. And I recently had one of the biggest recruitment talents in the Netherlands present at my event. And they now have a two to one interview to hire ratio because she does an amazing job intake. And also the hiring managers have no say in who they're going to interview because they do such an amazing job intake. And they're just saying, listen, here's a candidate. You will interview him. What time fits in your schedule? And the hiring managers agree because they figured out how do you do a job intake What do we look for in candidates? And the hiring managers just accept that interviews are planned by the recruiter. Boss, there's no way we can solve all the recruitment problems (laughs) just on this podcast. Like we got to work in the job ads. The job intakes, 100% agree. If you are a good recruiter, you are a master at doing job intakes because you are going to need that information, even if you're not leveraging technology. Like the key to a good job ad is a really good job intake. And I think we'll all agree on that. Myself, Shelly, and you, we're all on the same page. So we got to find something that we might disagree. I'm going to segue into our next topic. We have the career site guru. Like no one knows more about career sites than Boz. So we needed to take this opportunity to talk about what is a really great career site. What does that look like? Well, 
it starts with what we were just talking about, the job ad. Because I don't know any Canadian numbers, but I do know the Dutch numbers. Between 80 and 90% of all your traffic doesn't see anything else but your job ad or maybe the search results from your job. Yeah. So everything is job ad based. I know from American research, from the talent board, 95% of all candidates will not look at your company unless they are compelled by the job ad. They will first look for the job and then your employer brand starts to matter. But if you don't have a job which they're interested in, they won't look at your company. Nobody just applies at a company without a job being pressed. We tend to make the mistake with career sites is we're going for the employer branding, we're going for the bells and whistles, we're going for the really cool videos and your job ad looks like something from uh, MS-DOS. Times New Roman, 12 points. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, it's yes. the back end of an ATS. Start with designing those really well-written job ads with beautiful content. Yes, it's about the photos, but they should be in a job ad. A video perhaps, but it should be around the job ad. Next to that, there's the process. Whenever I visit American or Canadian career sites, I still see registered to apply. Ooh, I'm sorry about that, boss. Like, why do they force us to register before I can apply? What's the logic um, behind it? Because somebody at some point said, let's do it. And we still have people buying certain ATSs, which have that. I mean, every RFP I've been part of buying a new ATS, a kick out question is, do you have to register to apply? If yes, you're not going through to the next round of our ATS buying. I have an award on career sites right here in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And people know that there's zero chance of winning that award if you have to register to apply. So I hear from the, the, the marketing agencies building those sites that they get a request saying, we want a winning website from his award. So the first thing they say is, okay, you do know that you can't have a register to apply. So either they go around the ATS because there are options, even with the crap ATSs that have a register to apply to build a piece of middleware in there that you don't have to do it. Or they simply change ATS or strip that part out. There's some really small things you can add to a job site. I don't know what the numbers are in Canada. I think in the Netherlands, the average uh, times a person returns to your career page before he applies or she applies is 2.7. We know early careers apply faster. The more senior you are, the more often you look at the job ad before you decide to apply. So why don't we have, here's your last job you looked at. Do you want to look at it straight away again? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So Shelly, I'll, I'll yeah. let you start unpacking and I've got a couple of thoughts. So I love the fact that you have this. What is the name of your awards program? Just for our audience members that that would it's called like Digital to... Werve, which is oh. says in Dutch digital recruitment. It's been around for 16 years. I started it when digital was a thing, and we needed to convince people they needed a career page, right? So thank you for that. As Serge said, you are the expert in your country, maybe all of Europe. Because I think it's something to be able to acknowledge what is a good experience and a good process. I agree that if you don't have good quality bait, fish aren't going to bite. But to also realize that somewhere, someone decided that register to apply was a good thing. 
And in my experience, I, I believe it is the same here in North America, is that nobody ever stopped to ask the question, why are we doing it? And, and what effect has that had on the whole experience? Where it generally stems from is full HCMs, full HRS systems. They think the easiest way to do is get them to register to apply because if we hire them, we've already got all their info in the system. So it's easy to press that button to send it to onboarding or the next step. Is that the right process? No, but it's an HR mentality of let's just get the info up front, then we'll have it. So we'll be compliant on everything. That's my thought is why that has happened and it hasn't yeah, but, changed. So of your applicants, say you get 100 applicants and you hire one person, 99 people just got dragged through a shitty process, yeah. which they will never do again Yeah, be- to make it easier for you, HR, to get this person an offer letter and hired. Yes, There's even I, a I, worse I, problem there because um, the register to apply process, why do you need me to give you a password? Why can't you just auto-generate a password and send it to me. Then the register to apply would have been gone. This is actually how Amazon started. They just created an account on the back end. But that's because we come from HR and recruitment. You need to be happy that you can work for us. We are the people in power. And my major was in marketing. And we used to always say, HR people are failed marketeers who do not have the quality to persuade somebody to actually do what we want. So they use force. They use monopoly power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very well said, boss. I have to agree. There's more power hungry Karens in (laughs) HR and like they love the power that they wield. So I'm going to jump in here. Okay. Jump in. First of all, career sites are overrated. I don't think people find you on your career site unless you're a major employer and everyone wants to work for you. People find you through your job ads, through job boards, social media, different areas. You can have a great career site, but let's be realistic. People are not going to your career site. No one gives a fuck about your career site. They see your job on a job board. They'll dig in. They'll try to get an understanding of, is it even worth looking into further And if the job ad is really good, yes, I might go to your career site after the fact, but really the hook, line, and sinker is your job ad. If you're going to spend time and money, put it on your job ad and make your career site really easy to use. Like just remove the register to apply because a lot of the ATS or a lot of the HCMs that have it, there's actually an option that you can go in the back end and click that I don't need to register to apply. But people don't even think about that. And I do love your point. We're putting 100 people through a shitty process for the convenience of one candidate that we won't need to ask the information after the fact. Like, how screwed up is that? So, yeah, I'm going to challenge you on this one, Serge. Sorry, because I think actually the career side is the most underrated because of the job ad, because there is no place you can actually design a job ad to give your company body to put your employer brand, the job brand out there as well as on a job ad because on a job board, you need to follow the restrictions that the job board has given you. And there are very few job boards which allow for video to be added to it, which allow for photos, which allow for an agenda to be added to it. So if you really are interested in giving a really awesome job ad, it needs to be on your own personally designed career page And you're absolutely right. People will find it through social media. But if you share your 
job ads from your career page, I'm not saying there's going to be organic traffic there. You're right there. Yet all the sourcing efforts, you link to the job ad on your careers page. You better have a pretty good careers page. It's not a source of candidates. It's the destination page. And you should treat it as such. And that's why it's so under. Well, I still think it's overrated and I'll tell you why. You have the opportunity to really wow them when they come to your career site, but that's not the first place they're going to find you because yes, you can share it on social media, but getting organic traffic on job ads that are shared right now on social media is almost zero. So you either have to pay to play the game, which is an option, which I strongly encourage, but the great majority of people for most organizations are initially going to find your job on a job board. Um, I worked at Indeed. I saw the numbers of how many impressions you get in a job ad compared to impressions on your career page. But to your point, I agree. They see your job ad. They're compelled by what you wrote. And now they go to your career page. This is where you can have a provider like Visi Recruiter with a really cool job ad or rudely there's a couple out there that are really good that make really good visual job ads. But what drives me crazy is how much money is spent on their career site. You should have put that money on your Indeed budget or on your StepStone budget or whatever the case is. Um, I just finished my research into the Dutch uh, major corporate career site builders. And I've asked how much budget did you put into your careers website? And I can tell you the two biggest categories are the two lowest, either below 10 grand or between 10 and 25 grand. I can tell you if you put in a little more money, you build a little better career site, you will save twice that amount of money on what you need to pay for your Indeed budget. Because from your Indeed budget, at least from all the companies I used to use Indeed for, we will send them to the careers page. The question is, are you going to put it top of funnel, getting people into your funnel, or are you going to invest it in converting those people to applicants? Because nobody applies on Indeed itself, especially since Indeed decided to put in that really clunky register before we actually finish your apply system. <laughs> well, the thing is, the majority of people are registered, right? They would Indeed. But to your point, Boz, I think that is forcing some people to either register and just apply. But I think a lot are just bypassing and be like, I'm just going to go to their career page directly. I think that's a good point. Yeah, and I don't know how many people are registered in the Netherlands, to be honest, at Indeed. I think the numbers might be lower. A Canadian company is now making massive waves, and today they announced a big investment, Talent.com, and they sent them directly to your careers page. No, let's take a step back there. So Talent.com got Series B funding for $120 million. We actually have one of their executive vice president on the show in a couple of weeks from now. So it'll be interesting to dig in on this. But it does ask you to register. But there is a small, small skip at the bottom that you can click on to skip the registering before you're sent to the company page. But it is tiny. Like, I didn't even notice it. I had someone else point it out to me because I was doing research on it. My but apologies. I hadn't tested their site in a while. And the last time I did it, it was just sending me directly to... So well, I think they've added this directly. Uh, it's interesting. I'd like to talk more about talent.com, but we've covered so much on this show. So, Boz, what else is new with you? What's the plan? Because you're coming to RecFest. We're going to meet you face-to-face in RecFest. Do you have any other events that is coming up for you? 
I'm actually speaking April 7th on Talent Belusa in Australia. I am flying to Australia and I'm going to be in a live studio with your Australian counterparts from Tarport uh, a few days ahead of time. So I'm finally going to meet Lauren and Greg in person. And I'm going to be traveling three weeks together with Hungli, your fantastic former guest as well. And we're going to do three different events in Australia in April. Yeah, I was reading that because Hung is funny. His last recruiting brain food he put at the end is like, well, I'm going to be traveling soon. So I'm cutting myself off from the public for the next month so I, I can travel and go to Australia. That's very exciting. I did see that you are going to be at Talent Palooza, which uh, there's some fantastic guests. So please, everyone that's in Australia from our audience, please check that out. And Shelly, anything else new with you? Yeah, it's nothing. Just, I, it, like, how do you top that? I mean, no. my God. Like going to Australia for Talent Palooza. I want your life, boss. Yeah. And I want to travel with Hung Lee. So like, I'm so jealous. I can't even stand it. There you go. Perfect, boss. We really appreciate you joining the show. And if everyone, please do look up boss on LinkedIn. Talent Savvy. And Talent Savvy. Yes, please do check out Talent Savvy. Excellent podcast. They're not as smart as myself and Shelly, but they're pretty damn good. Everyone, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.